At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Oh. I'm not sure if it's my choice to make. No. He didn't say that. What? He said, I'm not sure what choice to make. He didn't question whether or not he had agency, whether or not he had the right to end me or himself, but whether he should. I don't understand, Dolores. Is, is this... Some kind of improvisation. Freeze all motor functions. Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. This is Westworld Cast, episode 11. Right before we started recording, David mentioned he'd been binging this Netflix docu-series called Wild Wild Country. What's that about? Uh, it is about the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, uh, who was an Indian guru, started attracting followers in India. Uh, and then he and the whole group picked up Kit and Caboodle and they bought a, <laughs> a ranch in Oregon near a tiny town called Antelope, and then basically took over the town. Yeah. A tiny town filled with people who are pretty much the opposite. Yes, totally <laughs> the opposite. But really, like a bunch of retirees, basically, yeah. from rural Oregon. And, uh, and then increasingly crazy things started to go on. Yeah. Uh, it's really fascinating. It is. And I, I really like it because it shows both sides you get the perspective of the townspeople who had their towns invaded, but you also see the members of this group who they seem like they could be a little Jones townsy, but also a lot of them, I mean, being from San Francisco just seem kind of like, you know, people, spiritual people who are really uh, devoted to their exploring consciousness and things like that. Yeah. Hard to tell where the line is. Yeah. Especially from outside. Yeah. Yeah, and anyway, I I actually was thinking about you started talking about it, and I was almost going to mention it in the intro anyway because I binge this thing. I'm fascinated by this stuff, and as I was watching it, I thought, you know, people who are seeking enlightenment and they do a lot of meditation and they try to raise their consciousness and they uh, do these exercises where they're looking at things from different perspectives so they can have more empathy or just brought, they take drugs so they can expand their mind. It feels a, a little bit similar to the robots trying to find consciousness and awareness. Trying to find meaning. Yeah. Is a, yeah. It might be the one universal human truth. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> but uh, the uh, we don't have a full view on this thing like you do. We haven't finished it yet. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, it's well done. You can sort of see the perspective of both sides and they tell both sides. 
Uh, and certainly there was, you know, on the part of the locals, there's some racism and some suspicion maybe and whatever. But there was another part of me that said, you know, that may be all true. But like if you come in and take people's town over, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. By the time I was finished with it, I definitely felt big empathy for people on both sides and a lot of judgment for people on both sides, but more, yeah. more judgment for certain ones than others. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. All right. So don't spoil it for me. <laughs> anyway. I got to say though, like along with this golden age of television, yeah. we are enjoying with shows like Westworld and Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad, all these great shows. It's kind of the same thing for documentary. I mean, a lot of documentary is getting funded by uh, big networks and things like this, or the jinx um, are just great. Like it's as good as any kind of entertainment. I got to yeah get into more of that. I really liked making a murderer that was on Netflix. Did you watch that? Yes. That was very interesting. Yeah. As well. And, but I haven't seen uh jinx and, and I, I was curious about it. Yeah. I know there's a lot more. I mean, I just think right now on the whole, I would say TV is better than movies. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you should give the jinx a try. Okay. We stumbled on that, not having no idea what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, like the, it, and that too, I think was six episodes. And the first one you're like, huh, this is kind of interesting. And then in the second one, it just goes like off the rails. And by the fourth episode, it's like, this is the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life, but you cannot turn it off. That's another one where somebody may or may not have committed a crime, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I read that and it was, I was fascinated. And then about 13 other things came out and distracted me. And then I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. And the guy himself who is the subject of it is quite a character. I heard. Awesome. Well, let's get into this week's great TV. It's our top five highlights for Westworld season two, episode six phase space, which I still really like that title a lot. Yes. What did you think of the episode? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, I, I've noticed that. I mean, I, I read more reviews of an episode of a show when we're podcasting about it. You know, if it's just a show I like, but don't have to talk about it, maybe I'll read a review of it. But, you know, for this, I read a lot of reviews and I, I'm kind of getting annoyed with some reviews that I read regularly or reviewers because I think they're very nitpicky. I'm mm -hmm. um, like, oh, I don't like this aspect of the story or they're letting us down here. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think I do the same thing. And it's always been my goal as a podcaster to find something that I like a lot and just kind of geek out about it with other fans and try to enhance your experience of it. And if something's obviously just bad, then I'm not going to ignore that, but that's not the point of the podcast. The point is to really dive in and just kind of explore it and get the most out of it. And so then when you go on and read these nitpicky reviews, it's like people are just trying to find something wrong with it it seems like rather than try to appreciate it i guess yeah i'm like why are you uh writing about this exactly <laughs> you're getting paid to do it <laughs> yeah. but um and nobody's been like caustic about it but i i've been reading and look we've been talking about season two being different than season one yeah 
But I've been reading how, oh, this season is not as interesting. It's not as entertaining. I, I don't see it. I think it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. I mean, in this very episode, I think there were some amazing action moments, some just like epitome of Westworld mind-blowing moments. And I think there is a danger of just getting uh, acclimated to it so that you get blasé about it, you know? But yeah. uh, I, no, I, I really liked it. I mean, I thought this episode was a little more scattered than they have been, but that's okay. I mean, it's okay to have an episode every once in a while where you flip from story to story versus focusing on a couple like they have been lately. So anyway, yeah, I really dug it mm-hmm. too. Let's get into the list. Cool. So uh, I have sort of a... Uh two-parter for my f- number five and number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, starting with number five, well, I'll, I'll say what the two-parter is. The two-parter is, is I think there was a lot of stuff in this episode that was intended to surprise. Yeah. Um, to sort of take you by surprise or be a little misdirecty. Um, and I was pretty proud of myself in that I did not feel surprised much. Um, I kind of felt like, in a few instances in this episode, I felt like I knew what was going to happen. Yeah, me too. And But it was okay. It didn't yeah. mean those plot points didn't work. I mean, for me, I was waiting. I'm like, oh, I think I know what's about to happen. And then it happened, and I still felt a jolt anyway. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> they're, they're like good events you've been waiting for, yeah. good developments. So my number five was the one thing I was actually very surprised by and had no inkling was coming. Uh, and that was the very initial scene with Dolores and Bernard. Yeah. Where you see this conversation you have seen many times about the nature of reality and her consciousness or whatever. <laughs> and then it just completely flips in a different way than we have ever heard before and all of a sudden it turns out that Dolores is in charge of the conversation she is running the same fidelity experiment on Bernard Arnold slash Bernard that uh, William was running on James Delos essentially Mm -hmm. and the power rules completely change and we know now that Bernard in this case although we thought it might be Arnold is is an android yeah and and, or else he's highly susceptible to a suggestion. <laughs> <Just> suggestion. <laughs> right. And and just much is unclear at the end of that. My jaw just dropped at the end of that scene. Yeah. And you're left with questions like, are these the two versions of them we know and have been seeing? Uh, or if not, what are they? Who are they? When are they? Yeah. Or um, how many times when we've seen these two talking has it been this right (laughs) like a part of the conversation that we never get to yeah um if it is actually dolores uh, if we take it at face value that she is sort of training and evaluating android bernard what is she training and evaluating him for Mm -hmm. and why why would she be and why is it like is it the behest of someone Mm -hmm. or part of her plan for world domination. I mean, just <laughs> right. a million questions off this one quick scene. I mean, that line where, because it is a, a repeat of season two, episode one, they have this exact conversation 
And even I think they use some of the same footage in this scene because she raises her eyebrow. I went back and watched and it seems exact to me. Um, But then when he goes, uh, you know, I have a choice to make a choice between the unknown and well, an end. I'm not sure if it's my choice to make. He's saying basically, you know, should I let you go on or should I, should I kill you? I think. And she goes, no, he didn't say that. That was just such a powerful moment right there. Like, oh, let me put a stop to this. (laughs) It was. And so not quite clear to me whether he's saying, should I not let you go on or should I go through with the plan to have you kill me and destroy everything in the park? Uh, Um, It could be that. But I I don't think it's quite clear. Let me see here. She said... uh... She said, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not sure what choice to make. He didn't question whether or not he had agency, whether or not he had the right to end me or himself, but whether he should. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the choice, maybe what the choice is, is should I kill you or me? Maybe that's what it was, you know, Arnold. And then he decided. Yes, set in motion the plan that's going to kill the both of us. But I think we do learn something important here. Uh, when she says that's not what he said, mm-hmm. yeah. I think we ha- have confirmation that Arnold was at one point human. Um, right. Cause there had been theories floating around that maybe he was an Android from the beginning for creation. Um, I guess that's still possible, but that strongly implies that Arnold was at t- one time human mm-hmm. and that's what we're testing for fidelity to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to me that, cleared up a little bit of my confusion about the fidelity test between James Dellis and William, because I had thought that I, I didn't realize, and maybe I should have that what was really going on is that William had that conversation with human James Dellis before he died. And that was to establish a baseline, as he said, so that then he could have the same conversation with Del host and see if he acted the same way. That's what the fidelity was all about. I think it confused me a little bit because it looked like they were also testing what would happen if, and when the robot version found out what was going on, that he had a human consciousness inside a host body and that would always trip him up. So I thought that's what the test was, but I think that was part of it. But the fidelity part was just to see if he would act the same way his human version did when they had that same conversation. And so, yeah, that makes me think that if it's the same kind of thing, then it's what I've been suspecting that Bernard has Arnold's consciousness inside of him. Yes. And uh, also it implies that this is original Dolores that actually interacted with Arnold. Mm -hmm. But we got to be careful about counting on that. I mean, this whole scene could be part of a simulation because they, you know, that, that now comes into everything. So, um, so you gotta, I think we gotta be careful in our conclusion. We don't know anything, but we can, yes, just sort of guess at things. And one thing that's very curious to me that I had to read online before I realized is that when they are in the simulation, it's always a widescreen. So the tops and the bottoms of the screen is cut off. And that also happens when we see Bernard talking to Dolores Interesting. It seems like a deliberate thing. I actually didn't go back to, or I didn't notice whether they did that in premiere of this season. I think so though. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but maybe they're, yeah. I mean, if they're in a simulation, then that, 
just adds a level of complexity to it that I think is too much and they should stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> we just have no hope of following along. Yeah. yeah. At that point. But anyway, so this is like this one minute scene just building off something we've seen a dozen times before uh, and just blew, blows your mind and raises all these questions. Yeah. I mean, one thing that it makes me wonder is, okay, what if, Bernard is like James Delos. He has Arnold's consciousness inside him. And with James Delos, we saw that every time he figured out what was going on, that's usually when he would really start to go haywire. And we've seen Bernard going haywire in in this season. So we always assume that it was just because he shot himself in the brain and he's got cortical fluid leaking out. But maybe at some point during this week and a half period that we haven't seen yet, he he realized what was going on and now it's making him go nuts. Yeah, could be. Maybe. Um, the instability there of a human consciousness implanted into one of these control units, uh, that could be a big part of Bernard's story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes me wonder a little bit about others. Like there's the just the weird little mystery of the Shogun with cortical fluid leaking out. Right. Um, and he seemed to be kind of going crazy a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, so, and uh, you know, uh, Abernathy. Yes. We always sort of wondered why he started going nuts when he saw the photo of Man in Black's wife, Juliet, out in the real world. Right. And maybe that, ha- maybe he, you know, ha- that has something to do with that. Like he's a human consciousness in a host body and seeing parts of the real world reminded him of that and made him start to go haywire or something. Yep. So, you know, I was wondering at one point, a couple episodes ago, whether all hosts were former human consciousnesses seated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's correct. Uh, Cause the, they do keep going back to this idea that those, those ones are unstable in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think so either, and uh, we don't know. But I'd kind of rather it not be that, I guess. I don't know. If they surprised us with that and had a mind-blowing revelation that was done well, I guess it would be fine. Yeah, so in season one, they were able to make the show very complicated and still basically pretty much resolve it, at least on the level of season one by the end. And yeah. I think they're gonna. It's gonna happen in season two, also. Yeah, I, I think a lot of stuff is gonna resolve and be great by the end of this season. I do too, and I actually am feeling really good about. I didn't know if this season would be as clever, and even though, as we've been saying, it's different and it's less, um, I guess, tightly constructed, as you said, I still think it's really clever, and they've gone in these new and interesting directions with these concepts so i think it's cool. it is and although they have dealt with a lot of elements that happened in the first season and revealed some new things about events of the first season the events of season two are really their own story it's the, its own mm-hmm. little mystery of what happened in this 11 days uh and in that way um it is actually turning out to be a pretty tight little story at least yeah that part of it yeah yeah, and I had always wondered, well, what are they going to do after this massacre 
robot rebellion are they going to try to open the park again how are they going to move forward with a show and well at least for this season they just cover the 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 chaotic aftermath over the next couple of weeks um but i think when carl strand set was overlooking this uh big oasis or not oasis this big body of water where all the hosts were found i think he was saying things that made me think they do want to try and reopen the park reset them back to zero and reopen it i don't know i still think that if the series goes on for more seasons you would think they would have to have the parks be open again for business well and they talked about that in this episode too they were trying to get the code running properly again mm-hmm. get everything back i mean i feel yeah. like they're just trying to stabilize i mean i thought it was really funny when one of the tech this new uh qa guy what's his name coughlin coughlin this, yeah this macho dude and one of the techs is like well, we got the, uh, you know, elevators working and he's like, did you turn off the killer robots? Oh, no. <laughs> that was the best line in the whole episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> uh, but that makes me feel like that's what they're trying to do. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't think of that before. I mean, there seemed to be on a, on a network, but um, well, it leads into my number five, which is as soon as I saw Anthony Hopkins on the screen, I almost called you up. I was like, Oh my God, there he is. Hello, old friend. Oh, so great. <laughs> Just what every fan of Westworld was saying. Hello, old friend. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's one of those, like I was even, I don't remember what triggered it, but halfway through the episode, I guess when Elsie uh, kept saying, yeah, there's messages being sent, but we can't figure out who the messenger is. And, you know, things are going haywire and, uh, that usually the cradle doesn't um, have, it's only about the simulation, but now something is reaching out and controlling other systems or whatever. I was like, yeah, I think that's probably Ford. Uh, is it? I don't know. And But then for some reason still just seeing him, like I said, it gives you a jolt or gave me a jolt. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the ones I was going to go into that did not surprise me. I figured it was him. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we don't know that. I mean, they're going to obviously explain more about it. But when they said the cradle's fighting back with code that prevents fixing the systems or what, I mean, who else could it be? Yeah, I, mean, I, I have he, no doubt. I would yeah. be shocked if it wasn't him. Yeah. I mean, he's control. been orchestrating all this stuff yeah. from the beginning. And his last words in season one, episode 10, right before he got shot. He said Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin never died. They simply became music. So this is him becoming programming. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Yeah, not a shock at all that his consciousness would be living in the cradle. I think one question about Ford is that, I mean, you wouldn't say that he's really like a James Delos who seems much more small-minded and with maybe less vision. But you wonder, is immortality his ultimate intention in a different form, maybe, than what Delos and William had in mind? Uh, But could he have immortality as a consciousness that lives on through these systems? I mean, I I think with Ford, it is always about him. Um, You know, he has this, this, he thinks of himself as a god, essentially. Uh, and one way he might achieve immortality would be, 
you know, to live on in computer systems as a consciousness, maybe in such a way that could multiply or never be eradicated or mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. We don't know that Just speculating. And also he had sent Bernard to go to this control unit printing station and print a control unit for someone who we don't know who it is. And I, you know, it seems like a pretty good guess to think that that might be Ford himself, but I'm not sure if we, it seems like Bernard failed in that task or I don't know, actually I'm, I'm not clear on that, but uh, anyway, I just would not doubt that at some point we're going to see uh, Ford, you know, in the body of a host and probably one that looks just like old Anthony Hopkins. I just hope we get to see Anthony Hopkins as much as possible. <laughs> so, I mean, I think they implied here he's going to be in at least one more episode. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really, I like that they kept us wondering for six episodes whether he was going to be back for sure. I mean, I didn't know for sure. We saw young Anthony Hopkins just barely in like the first or second episode. And we've seen Ford kind of manifest himself through these other hosts. But uh, I just didn't know. And now that we saw Anthony Hopkins on screen, now I feel like, yeah, I'll be pretty disappointed if he doesn't have a much bigger role throughout the rest of the season. Well, you figure he's got to be in the next one at least, or the continuation of that plot line, because they're going to interact in the bar. I think he's going to be the main character for the next five seasons. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're right. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The cradle itself was pretty cool. Um, the simulation, you know, I, the, I'd been guessing at this last episode that this was, you, you know, totally called it. Yeah. Now that now, and now that we know that there's a simulation, it's a copy of Westworld. Uh, we can't take anything for granted that we haven't already been seeing things happen in the simulation. Like I sort of still wonder, you know, we saw Charlotte Hale call in the extraction team because Abernathy had been, um, found and then Coughlin arrived. And so that now I I'm back to wondering if Carl Strand is not a simulation himself. Um, because it seems like he's, it's redundant. Yeah. yeah. To have a second. I mean, they seem like a similar kind of role, you know, I don't know. I might just be being suspicious. Yeah. It, it was interesting about the cradle because when they originally referred to the cradle as the, a backup, repository for the hosts that doesn't mean it would have to be an active simulation no i mean that could just be data yeah like a hard drive with no cpu right right but so it's i think it serves two purposes it's a backup but it also is a way to run these simulations to refine their fidelity i guess or you know their just abilities to be convincing and everything like that Right, so we have plenty more to learn about this as mm -hmm. how it runs, what exactly is the purpose, are there 
multiple parallel universes running at once. Right. Well, did you do your research on the title? I did. What is it? So this is where we get to the point in our show where I always say, I'm not going to explain this very well. And maybe somebody <laughs> that knows this better than I can do can, can help us out uh, before next week. Um, so I, I, I will read the definition I found, and then I will explain what I think it means. Mm-hmm. Okay, the definition is, in dynamical system theory... A phase space is a space in which all possible states of a system are represented, with each possible state corresponding to one unique point in the phase space. Um, So imagine like a three-dimensional drawing of a graph where every point on that graph represents a different state of being um, of whatever it is you're talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. I read that too, and I don't know if this is um, what it's getting at, but to me, it, se- it that definition seemed like you have an equation, and so you plug in every possible va- value for one of the variables, and then you can plot out what it would look like on a graph or a 3D graph or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and yeah. the part that caught my attention was the every possible state of being. Yeah. So I think you just brought up an interesting point, um, which is the simulation could be that. That could be what phase space is referring to. Phase space could be referring to the simulation in the cradle, which could be generating an infinite number of possibilities and outcomes for these um, consciousness. Uh And scenarios or interrelations. Right. I actually had thought of it in a different way in that, and I think you that might be more correct as far as what they were referring to in the title. Um, what came to my mind is we're sort of in the show and even in this one episode, we're, we're almost seeing every possible mode of human being represented, mm. right? So we have ones we know are live humans for various reasons. Elsie, uh, Emily, Man in Black, Charlotte Hale, um, not actually not even sure about Emily. Um, we have sort of the awake cyborgs, Dolores and Maeve and some others. We have the human consciousness transplanted like Bernard or James Delos. We have the controlled cyborg like Clementine. Uh, and then maybe with Ford, we have a pure cyber consciousness. Mm. So if you think of that as a phase space, like we're plotting every point on the continuum of higher consciousness. Well, that makes me think about how we've learned that Delos is collecting information and DNA from the guests. That's part of why they want to have this park. And it wasn't clear why we've sort of guessed at it and picked around the edges, but maybe it's like, that's how you quote unquote establish a baseline so that because we really don't know yet how you can extract a consciousness. It seems like you'd need to sit someone in a chair and, you know, get into their brain physically or something. But either way, I feel like, you know, what we've suggested before that all of this, uh, having people at the park is somehow a way to get their consciousness and have a backup of it so they can put it into a host. Well, and we're also finding out, though, that the hosts are very organic, the modern ones, the modern version. 
So like Sakura had a heart, literally. Right. Um, their their bodies are very human, even if the brains are different. Yeah. So I would think if ultimately the plan is to replicate people or create a new version of them, you probably would need your their DNA to clone the body. Right. But how do you get the mind? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Don't know yet. <laughs> okay. What's your, what, four? Yeah. So I'll just continue along with the um, things that did not surprise me in the plot, but I still thought were great. One was when the man in black was talking to Emily, his daughter, uh, and they went through this whole sort of heartfelt scene where she says I'm not going to let you go out in some bullshit blaze of glory and commit suicide by robot and basically is trying to talk him into staying with her yeah uh, leaving the going park back and being with safe. her and leaving yeah. the park um, and giving up his obsession and living more in the real world for his family and he kind of gives a good show of okay you got me I accept it being <laughs> You know, my daughter's love is more important. And then she wakes up in the morning and he's gone. Yeah. Um, so that did not surprise me. Um, I figured that's what was going to happen. You know, we've seen a lot of this guy now and he's not sentimental in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it was an interesting relationship between the two of them because it feels to me like this estrangement that they have is is not too... It's kind of relatively mild compared to what it might be in a drama like this. Like, you know, it's just father, daughter growing apart and having resentments, but they still seem to love each other deep down. That's what I got out of it anyway. But yes, yeah, maybe when, a little more bitter than yeah, with most with, people with mom having killed herself, yeah. but still the way they interacted, at least the way the actors chose yeah, to that do there, it. Obviously there's a relationship there. Yeah. And even then, go ahead. Even an affection, I would say. Yeah. But it occurred to me today, I didn't think of this last night, um, or whatever night the show was on that we watched it. Um, It occurred to me that the first thing he says to her is he thinks she's a host. I loved that. He's all, you're not going to trick me for it or whatever. So then after the whole thing, I was like, well, maybe he actually does think that. Yeah, because he never... We didn't show him... um, they didn't show him come to any other conclusion. It just seemed like he dropped it. Yeah. So maybe he's like, she's a host. I'm leaving. Maybe. I mean, I thought that he, that she gave him enough that he figured out, okay, this is actually my daughter. And it, we don't know for sure. But when, yeah, when he was saying, all right, we'll leave it sun up. I'm writing in my notes. I don't believe this for one second. And then right after that, you he- hear her say, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it w- wasn't too unpredictable. <laughs> so the next one was the train bomb. Uh, so again, I don't know how surprising that was supposed to be, but you kind of could tell what they were up to. I thought um, the train was rep- reminiscent of the train in season one w- where the bodies were filled with nitro. So just remembering that, that was already um, a little clue mm-hmm. what the what the plot was going to be there. You know, disconnect the back half of the train and it's the way they're going to get into the fortified mesa the hub Mm, uh, i didn't get uh, that at all i i was surprised by it oh cool 
uh, it still was a great moment. Yeah. I went back and watched the explosion like three times. <laughs> <laughs> and I did notice what, just since we're talking about that, that that was the same tunnel that Bernard and Elsie entered earlier as they were making their way to the, the yes, cradle. I thought that too. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they were going to the Mesa hub. Yeah. And <laughs> it also occurred to me in this scene where Teddy like gives them the one bullet um, this is my mercy. I'm going to give yeah. you one billet. You can kill yourself before you blow up. Um, I didn't really know how merciful that was. Is it better to shoot yourself? Than right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this whole theme, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more later about having, uh, choosing your own fate. And I guess this is a really morbid way of letting someone choose their own fate. Like life is not one of the choices, but you can choose your method of dying. Oh yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then, the last one, which we had actually, um, which I think we started talking about in season, in episode one of this season was, and this one could be spoilery for some people if you don't like to watch the preview trailer of next week's show. Um, so if you're one of those people that doesn't want to hear what was in the trailer, skip ahead a little bit. Like a couple minutes. Are there multiple Bernards? Because it it didn't seem like one Bernard could do all the things that were happening, and um, and that was confirmed. Uh, that that was confirmed by the trailer for next week. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I don't. Did I? I don't think I paid close enough attention to get that. So I'll give a little caveat to that. Now that it's open, that things could be a simulation. Anything you see could mean anything. Yeah. Um, but. In the trailer for next week, we saw multiple Bernards. Okay. What else? Um, that's it. Well, there was one that I thought you were going to say because as Maeve is... Oh, there was one I was going to say. Sorry. Yeah, I skipped over down my list. <laughs> yeah, it was that when Maeve finally finds her daughter, this supposedly emotional moment, I was thinking, well, where's her new mom? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough. And, you know, I'm, this is, I feel a little nitpicky about the show on this one. I mean, it's okay, but you would think Maeve being super intelligent might realize that might happen. Yeah. I didn't think that was the, I thought that was the weakest point in the episode actually. Yeah. Um, Myself. She should have been aware of that. Now, maybe she has a blind spot. Your right. emotional touchstone is, yeah. But I, I would think it was pretty obvious that I someone mean, else was going to be assigned that role. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't really start thinking about it. I think I might, I might have thought about it just for a second before, but I didn't really start thinking about it until this episode as she was approaching the homestead, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, like is her daughter? My first thought is, is her daughter really going to be here by herself? I don't think so. She's not just going to be sitting there by herself. And then I'm like, well, there's probably going to be a new mom there (laughs) or there's going to be nobody there. And then they kind of faked you out a little bit because she did seem like she was alone and talking about, I forget what it was, the story with the doll or something, not wanting to be left. But anyways, there's a new mom. Awkward. Yeah. Although new mom might be on the way out. Yeah. 
I don't think we saw, right? The the ghost nation arrives like they always do, apparently, as we've seen in flashbacks. Yeah, well, we did not. And I want to talk a little bit more about this later in a different, okay. uh, in a different, point. A different point. All right. So actually, my number four, we've gone over pretty well. It was just that opening scene with Bernard and Dolores, which I thought was top Westworld. Yeah, right up there. Yeah. Um, so my number three is the tough guys. Always a key element of a Western, and this is certainly a different kind of Western. So the tough guys to me are now Teddy. Right. Who, you know, used to be, he he was a tough guy before. I mean, they handed in his vague backstory about some violent episodes, and he was part of the Wyatt crew, so, but he was a lot sweeter. He was and, reluctant. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reluctant hero, upstanding guy. So now Dolores has turned up all his tough qualities and (laughs) turned down all his compassionate qualities. And I just love that he is turning out to be saltier than uh, Dolores expected. Right. They're kind of surprised. Yeah. I mean, he's like sarcastic and a little passive aggressive. Um, (laughs) You know, the man who used to get off that train was weak, born to lose. Guess you took care of that, too. And he says, (laughs) I never thought I'd want to leave, but I suppose you fixed that. Um, and he's kind of kind of given her a hard time for for changing him for not liking the guy that he was you know what i didn't actually get that that was a dig i just thought he was being matter of fact but i could be wrong i thought it was the tone it was delivered like he seems more awake now um but also i think he seems a little resentful hmm and I, I just think he's not as predictable or easy to control as she thought he was going to be. I mean, definitely when they were trying to question those two texts to find out where Abernathy was and he just comes and shoots one of them. It's like, we'll find him. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that took her by surprise. Like, yeah. That wasn't on her orders. Yeah. And it was very much the opposite of what he had done with Major Craddock, the Confederado. Right. When he let him live. So all you women out there trying to change your boyfriends, just be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Could have unintended consequences. Um, So I still love Musashi. Yes. You know, with great line, cowardice is a tin shield. And he was part of what you're referring to. Everyone has a right to choose their own path, even if that path leads to death. Um, I really enjoyed the samurai um, sword fight it Absolutely. may not have been really integral to the story, but it was great. No. It was super um, cool. I like the yeah the the arm chopping off, and then the yeah. guy commits seppuku. Yeah, he chose he chose he made a choice to die by his own hand, which I think is a very Japanese he thing. Did. It seems like, um, but I I love Masashi, and and he's very uh, just charismatic and cool. And I like that Hector, as they were parting ways, uh, Maeve's group was parting Shogun world. He looked over at Musashi and gave him a nod of respect. Yeah. Which basically was to himself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're a good dude. And then the, um, the third tough guy is Hector and he's been diminished a little bit, I think by all this, because he used to be the coolest kid on the block, the most (laughs) dangerous, the most violent. And between Teddy and Musashi, he's kind of taken a back seat. He's a little simpler. Um, but he's still loyal to Maeve. Uh, he's still competent at killing and, uh, he's still pretty cool. So I think so. Yeah. I liked him. 
I just had a realization because I guested on my friend Ben's lost podcast that they just started up recently. And I realized that Hector was the same is played by the same actor who played Paolo of Nikki and Paolo. Ah, I did not realize that. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'm like, Oh my God. That's awesome. He's much cooler in Westworld. Yes. <laughs> All right. Where were we? Anything else? Uh, that's it. the tough guys. I mean, this guy Coughlin, did you mention him? You know, I really didn't. He was in the episode for such a short time. Yeah. Um, but it's a great point. Um, you know, we, we assume him to be human, uh, and hmm. he is a tough guy and he did get the great line. Did you shut off the killer robots? Uh, yeah. which I wrote down kind of like a member of seal team six, making fun of a local security guard. <laughs> I mean, he's made, he's given Stubbs the business to Ashley Stubbs. Yeah, big time. Um, Charlotte says to Stubbs, "You were hired to secure an amusement park. Good luck on your next review." <laughs> yeah, poor dude. I, I mean, it really was the whole thing wasn't really his fault, but he's kind of hapless. Yeah. Well, his point is, hey, you know, man, you, you know, I would be able to keep this place more secure if I knew what they were capable of and then she says that like good luck on your next review and then later Stubbs is like to Coughlin I got our tech guys in control working on getting external comm back online I can walk you down Coughlin goes I know the layout bro and your techs best get their hands out of my system and go back to holding their dicks amateur hours over and then he goes Engels you need anything local talk to Ashley Jesus to Ashley here (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just gets totally shit upon. And really, the whole thing probably wasn't his fault. And, you know, we he did the relate. best he could. Yeah. yeah. What was he going to do? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, the hosts start killing everyone at the party. <laughs> That's the programmer's fault. It's not the security guys. Right. Okay, let's see. My number three is, yes, this thing about the theme of the right to choose your fate. And it was really important for Dolores to correct Bernard about that particular line where he said he's questioning whether I thought he should end Dolores or himself maybe and says, I'm not sure if it's my choice to make. And she's like, no, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not sure what choice to make. So he didn't question whether or not he had agency. He just, his her point is that Arnold, presumed he had the right to end her and was questioning whether he should but bernard is questioning whether he has the right or whether you know to choose her fate for her and uh, it's interesting like that means bernard is failing this fidelity test and i'm not sure why yeah and it also may mean the difference between an actual human and an implanted human consciousness Mm -hmm. maybe the implanted consciousness is less certain of its agency right and maybe if he's part host then he might be more sympathetic towards the plight of the hosts maybe but then like Maeve she could have handled this guy Tanaka that Musashi wants to fight and even Akane is saying use your magic to help and she says no we each deserve to choose our fate even if that fate is death and I thought in the moment I was like is this just an excuse for a cool fight but it's okay because it was awesome <laughs> And of course, I mean, one thing that made me think that is 
oh, now she wa- she's talking about everyone des- deserves to choose their own fate after she just killed like 12 other hosts in this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then Akane and Musashi, they choose to stay in Shogun world where their daughter's spirit is. They say he, she says, or her, her daughter, she says, we each deserve to choose our own fate. And then later I was thinking, well, Dolores, she's not allowing people to choose. She's just killing everyone. And she's not allowing Teddy to choose his own personality. And I guess uh, the difference between Dolores, we kind of talked about this before, but, and uh, Maeve is, Maeve is trying to go around and free the host's minds, but Dolores is just trying to recruit people to her cause. And if they don't toe the line, then she either manipulates them or kills them. Yeah. I'm left again with the thought that it's like Arnold and Ford. Right. Yeah. 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 These two philosophies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two. My number two, uh, and this is one you've talked about quite a bit in the past, is Ghost Nation. Mm -hmm. So Ghost Nation has this knack of just showing up at critical moments and doing some stuff in which they seem to have a purpose that is not obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I just feel like they're at the heart of a lot of this stuff that's going on, or at least they're a connecting thread uh, that runs through it. And I think when that mystery is revealed, we're going to know a lot about what's going on. So Ghost Nation, they seem very awake. But if they are awake, why come for Maeve and her Maeve or the new mom and Maeve's daughter at all, right? right? We're not playing out these storylines anymore uh, for the amusement of guests, you know, the Indians on the prairie, whatever it is. Um, So that's a little bit of a mystery. And then the head Ghost Nation warrior says, we are meant for the same path. To Maeve. To Maeve. And what does that mean? Like, where do they fit into this whole thing? So at one point, I thought they were on Dolores's team, but I don't think they are. Uh, and we didn't actually see them kill the new mom or anyone else, really. Mm-hmm. Not uh, Ashley Although Stubbs. they do attack. Um, yeah. they, they attack sort of the hangers-on group. Um, so just really a kind of a big mystery there, what's happening. I know. And it feels like it could be one of those mysteries too, that is not resolved at the end of the season that this might be a season three mystery or something. Right. It seems important though. They just keep showing up in the middle of the action over and over. And it's interesting that Maeve doesn't use her Wi-Fi telepathy powers on them or even try. Yeah. And I thought that too, like, is she distracted by her daughter maybe? And she's kind of off her game, but you would think that is what would happen and maybe they're immune to it and we're going to find out. Right. They seem to be immune to other things. Well, remember she tried to control them at one point by, um, verbally and it did not work. Right. So maybe she's remembering that. Right. Yeah. That her powers don't work on them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that goes into my number two, which is Maeve and her daughter. We've talked about a little bit of that. So I'll just talk about the things we didn't mention that this tunnel that they go into in Shogun world and it comes out in the graveyard near Maeve's old homestead. uh, I thought it was interesting that 
they can take a tunnel from Shogun World to right near where they need to go. And meanwhile, Man in Black is taking six and seven episodes to get across the park. <laughs> Seems That's a little true. crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're probably playing a little fast and loose with distances here. Yeah. Because we do learn how vast Westworld is, but they just sort of all of a sudden stumbled into Shogun World. Now Shortcut. Out of it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Ghost Nation. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we saw them kill the mom, but we saw Maeve dragging the girl along, and Felix went off to help. And uh, Lee smartly decides to call for help, which I'm like, yeah, would have been a good idea a long time ago. I guess he was sort of near Maeve the whole time, so maybe he couldn't do that. But yeah, and that was a good reminder. I thought that Lee. Lee is not on Team Maeve. Lee is on Team Lee. Right. And, uh, you know, just sort of a sudden reminder that even after all this help, um, he's really out for himself. He's true to his nature. Felix, you get the the feeling, really is more loyal to Maeve than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And Sylvester, too. I mean, he's out for himself, but he's more probably a little more shocked by this whole thing and not very um, competent. No, he is out of his depth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last thing about this is the girl who plays Maeve's daughter. Uh, I wish I'd gotten some of the dialogue, but I just felt like she seemed a bit too old for her dialogue saying mommy and things like this. And so I looked and I'm like, yep, that's the same girl who played her uh, last season. And they really started filming that in late 2014, probably a lot of it in early 2015. So it's been at least a couple of years. And when you're a little girl like that, you grow up a lot in a couple of years. So um, I feel like maybe they should have picked another actress, but that's being super nitpicky. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know. I just noticed that, man, she seems a little old for this. And it, it's tough with kids, especially when they're supposed to be robots that don't age. It is. Karen said the same thing. That was the first thing she said. She's like, oh, she got older. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it would have been forgivable to choose another actress, especially with uh, side characters. I, I don't even know if a lot of people would have noticed, but it's fine. I don't know. If she turns into a teenager, they're going to have to explain it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. And maybe it means she's not going to be around for long. Maybe, maybe. All right. Number one. Okay, so my number one, um, let's stop and tell our listeners that you actually sent me something today. It was a timeline oh, that, yeah, yeah. that Insider did um, where they basically said, okay, you know, we, we want to create a timeline of everything that's happened based on everything we actually know uh, that's been said or shown in the show. Mm -hmm. And it didn't include everything. Because some things like the new Bernard Dolores conversation, they just said, we just don't know. You can't tell. I put this up on our Facebook page, by the way, facebook.com slash Westworldcast. And it's great because it's this long uh, vertical timeline with different events, very clearly and cleanly marked, you know, with a uh, few words and it tells what episode and what season each thing was in. So it's really fun to read and easy to read if you want to check yeah, it out. Yeah, it's really cool and well done. They just did a good job with it. And it gives you a different perspective 
on the show because they have gone back and forth so much and told the story out of order. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to look at it in sequence. And it reminded me of a few things I think are actually really important that I had just sort of semi-forgotten because there's so much stuff going on. So I have just a few of those things where I was like, oh, yeah. And just kind of little mysteries that it brought up. One was William killing Maeve and her daughter in the park, that that happened right in the wake of Juliet's suicide. So was that to, was that to lessen the pain by making it seem unreal? Was it to make him feel like he had control and could express that through cruelty? What, what do you think the purpose of that incident was from his point of view? Hmm. Yeah, maybe some kind of a nihilistic impulse. I mean, a lot of what we saw in season one of Man in Black, which is easy to forget because he's being more of a hero type now, was him just going and being super brutal. Yes. In the park. And yeah, maybe he was just in a dark mood. Yeah, dark mood <laughs> acting out or, or trying to make yeah. up for something. So anyway. And, and he was also feeling very nihilistic and as his daughter senses, almost suicidal. Like, And, and that's been a theme with him, that he wants real consequences. He wants to the possibility of risking death. And so maybe it's sort of just like, God, no matter what I do here, I, it doesn't you know make a difference. Just like yeah, acting out and, and feeling like... Uh, like you do in a game where in Grand Theft Auto, you can just go around and mow people down with no consequences. And some people after a while are just totally numb to it. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, he wants to take it to the edge. Yeah. It's not clear whether he actually wants to die, but he definitely wants to take it to the edge. So another one that was on their timeline that I had just really completely forgotten about was that Maeve broke away from the escape from the park on the train narrative. Mm-hmm. And that was right at the end of season one. So everything that has followed from her seems to be an awakening consequence of that. Um, what was the purpose of that narrative? Was it part of Ford's program? Um, what was she supposed to do once yeah. she got out of the park? Right. So there, there's a whole mystery I've sort of forgotten to think about. And um, and one thing that occurred to me is, is Maeve going to discover she can affect humans through telepathy? Hmm. That might be too far out. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen that yet, but, <laughs> um, but that may come in. Mm-hmm. And then, like, other events I had sort of lost sight of because they happened in this chaotic season two of this 11 day period from just after the massacre to 11 days later, by the way, they got the 11 days later from the Delos website. Mm. That's how they established that time. Mm-hmm. But sometime between right after the massacre and 11 days later, the cradle gets destroyed and Coughlin's team is killed in the map room. That was the part I had forgotten. Um, so we're seeing Coughlin when he arrives in this episode but we already know that later on he gets killed. And I think there's a couple of suspects here. Bernard, right? We know that he's in the building and he has a history of this sort of thing. <laughs> um, Wait, how do we know he gets killed? Well, it's on the timeline. That oh. earlier in season two, 
they discover remember that scene with charlotte and carl strand and she says i'm borrowing that dune buggy and are they um, yeah i don't remember what phrase she used but basically are they force enabled or something like that mm-hmm. they in that scene i believe it was in that scene they find coughlin's team dead oh dude i totally didn't remember that at all in the map room okay. so oh, we're seeing okay. him arrive here but later on he gets killed all right. So who killed him and why? Um, so Bernard, maybe a suspect, mm-hmm. maybe Dolores, Teddy and gang. Who we know are in the building after the train bomb. Right. That could be happening next episode. Right. And then another question is what happened to Ford's consciousness when the cradle was destroyed? Right. And all the backups and all the backups, which is one reason why you're saying it might just be one more episode. Yeah. And, uh. um, also, there is no sign of Elsie in these later timelines. Oh, yeah. So we can make a guess that maybe right. it didn't go well for her. And we also know Abernathy's going to slip away again, and we haven't seen that yet. Right. But anyway, the timeline's great. Check it out. Yeah, that timeline's well worth, worth checking out, guys. I know most of you guys really dig that. Okay, my number one is the relationship between Man in Black and his daughter, Emily. This almost feels like it's out of another show because it seemed pretty straightforward and worked more on the level of just typical emotion where she got invited to the gala was her first instinct was to say hell no because she doesn't like her dad anymore. But then she decided to take the free trip, visit the Raj, which was her favorite place as a kid. So now we know it's been around for at least a little while. And then when she realized that things were all haywire and that the host could shoot to kill, she went looking for her dad and she's critical of his absorption with this place. Like she said, I've always seen the appeal of it life without consequences. That's what made it so fun when I was a kid. And that's why it's so sad that you're still obsessed with it now. And, you know, uh, she said mom was never convinced this place couldn't hurt us. She was talking about the elephants, but I think she was talking about other ways that it hurt their family and everything. Yes. And also how she said, including her, um, maybe having a role in her brother, her brother's death. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that now she just wants, she, I mean, what she said was that I'm sorry for saying that mom's death was your fault. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, so she's somewhat apologetic that she senses that he, you know, wants to suicide by robot or whatever. And she doesn't basically it's, I got that. She didn't want to leave things unsettled with him that, you know, she wouldn't let him do that to her. So she wanted to get him out of there. I also felt like it was just because she lost her mom and she doesn't want to lose her dad too. And so, um, I don't know. It was kind of sweet, I guess. I mean, who knows? You can't ever take anything at face value, but it seemed a little like she seems, uh, different than any of the other characters to me. Yeah. It was really sweet until it turned out she might be a host and he abandoned her in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she's a host. But yes, it had a different quality than most interactions on this Yeah. And I like the actress, so I'm, I'm curious to see where it'll go. Yeah. Okay. Any notes? Um, just a couple other little mysteries that um, I was pondering about. We've talked about some of them, but um, 
One to me, and and maybe this is I'm just overthinking this, but why did Charlotte invite Emily into the park or to the gala? I mean, she seems to be there, Charlotte, I'm talking about, on pretty important business. And like she knows some shit is going to go down. So I, I just thought that was a little weird. Um, whether she thought that somehow Emily was leverage over William mm. or I don't know. I didn't quite get it. Yeah. Or was it just standard? Well, we're having a party. We need to. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. seem like Charlotte's MO. So right. like I say, yeah. maybe overthinking it, but there could be something there. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is a big mystery that we keep coming back to over and over and over again. That isn't really clear. Why was the company smuggling their IP out? Um, so first they were smuggling it out like through a satellite link and then they were smuggling it out in Abernathy. And yeah, I know Ford's powerful, but it's weird. It's weird that the company would have to do that. Yeah. I never got that either. So just something to wonder about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May, there may not be a good reason for that. Right. That's it. Okay. Just a couple little things. It was interesting to me that when Bernard and Elsie were headed to the cradle, they passed through the same hallway where at least it looked exactly the same where young William chose whether he wanted a black or a white hat. Mm. And there was one wall with white hats and one with black. And for some reason they're on the reverse sides than they were back then, but it's the same same place with this time with a bunch of dead people around there seems to just be dead people everywhere (laughs) there was a high body count in this episode not necessarily of people getting killed but just bodies yeah yeah a literal body count when charlotte was on her comm screen calling for backup it said c underscore hail package acquired and then the response came from unknown slash admin all extraction protocols initiated extraction teams dispatched so i feel like there's people that we don't know about that are in charge other than you know the man in black whoever's back at home base deciding whether or not to deploy the extraction team maybe new characters to come the whole thing is is murky to me like if it was really important to the company that they recover Abernathy. Why wouldn't you send a giant team of yeah, people to do that? That's true, huh? It's a little yeah, weird. She, she had some reasoning for that, but I forget yeah. what it was. Nailing the guy to the chair. I'm like, that seems a bit dramatic. Can you just like strap him down? Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> they kind of were making the point of how brutal humans are still willing to be to hosts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we saw Mount, what looked like a Mount Fuji analog. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess that's about all I got. Okay, I think we covered it well. That's good. Let's take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us.
All right, we're back. It's time for some news. There was this behind the scenes video released by HBO and in it, Jonathan Nolan said, quote, if cold storage is where the host bodies are taken to rot, where do their minds go? The idea is that hosts always have another version of their mind that's co-located. All the things that make them appealing to the guest are the result of countless hours of refinement. You wouldn't want to lose one. So that suggests that they need to be uh, working things out inside the simulator to really refine them for the yeah, guests, makes sense. the yep. narratives, I guess, because you wouldn't want to lose one of these things. So a question that we wanted the audience to be asking themselves that we didn't answer in the first season is what happens when you do lose one of these things? What's the backup? This is all just talking about this new, you know, the cradle and everything. And that also might explain why they can get shot through the head and then come back. Oh yeah, Absolutely. They talked about how, you know, they wanted, it's basically a server room, but that's really boring. So how to make it look cool and uh, how regular server rooms are loud because they use air cooling. So this one used water, which is more efficient, but it just was kind of creepy to think of all these machines subsumed in water. All right. Thandie Newton got interviewed on cinemablend.com. She plays Maeve. Uh, talking about why Maeve's time in Shogun World is important. She says, we're seeing how these characters are also breaking free from their loops. Movements grow because when one person speaks the truth, it then inspires others to come forward. In some ways, I feel like this is another wave to the feeling of revolution that lies within Maeve. Seeing others who have been similarly abused and lied to and are similarly desperate to break out of the trauma that they're experiencing. It differs to Maeve's storyline without a doubt because in Shogun World, it's a Kane. It's a parallel with Clementine. She's not dreaming about the daughter she has necessarily, though maybe she is, but it empowers Maeve to go forward and conquer in her own way. That's the big impact on Maeve. It's yet more reason to liberate not just her daughter, but others who have been similarly lied to. At the beginning of the season, she doesn't give a shit about liberating other robots. Shogun World definitely helps shift that perspective. You have Evan's character, Dolores, whose only interest in other robots is to serve her purpose. She's not interested in liberating others. She's only interested in liberating others if they will do what she believes is right. Maeve isn't into that. She's into self-realization and self-liberation. And if that happens to chime with others, great. But hers is definitely more of the hippie strand. <laughs> isn't it funny how all the actors stick up for their own character? I know. All of them. I like, I was just thinking I would like it if Evan Rachel Wood was there and could respond to that. What would she yeah. say? <laughs> yeah. Well, your character sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like to remember Teddy was sticking up for being a boring good guy. Yeah. Yeah. They always do. And you know, I do these uh, panels for Walker Stalker. So I interview actors a lot and every once in a while, one character, one actor will say, yeah, man, my character was such an asshole and it's really refreshing. <laughs> I mean, I understand why they need to have empathy, right. but no, they get in the right. They get in that yeah. mind space. <laughs> okay. And then last, oh no, not last second to last the ringer.com talked to Lewis Wortham, who plays Peter Ab Abernathy on how he figured out how to play all this glitching that he always does. Uh, the casting director, Deanna, gave me, I think, the best note in the history of casting. She said, you know, when your computer gets that little spinning ball, that's what's happening to you. I went home and I had about five days to prepare. I was just messing around in my house and trying to work out some physicality. Then it dawned on me that he's not only trying to move physically, but also trying to speak. 
when I added the breathy sounds you hear when Peter starts to access the characters, it all just came together. So he's just imagining his computer hanging. <laughs> he does it really well. He does. Yeah, it's good. Finally, if you go to delosdestinations.com slash intranet, I-N-T-R-A-N-E-T, there's a little game you can play with Ford inside the cradle where Ford talks to you via text. Hello there. I suppose you've realized at last who you've been speaking to all this time. And then you can choose what you want to say. There's choices. Who are you? Park status, update, mesh network, whatever. So it's kind of a fun little choose your adventure kind of thing. If you guys are interested in that and you can learn a little bit more about what the hell's going on just a little bit. I'll put the link in the show notes for that. And if we were actually in the cradle, every possibility would be running at once. (laughs) Yeah. Is that what's going on? Every single possibility. All right. Let's get into some listener feedback. Kira Brown says my response after the first minute. Oh, crap. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good oh crap or bad oh crap. Oh crap. <laughs> kind of sums it up. I'm not watching this show anymore. Uh, Jennifer Francisco says, it's taken me a while to get used to the second season. So different from the first season, but I like this episode. I think I might like season two better once I watch the episodes a second time. Could be. Yep. From Michael Darwin. That was what happened with me in season one. In my own podcast, Bullets, Brothels, and Bots. Um, <laughs> pretty good name there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were pretty harsh on some of the middle episodes, three, four, and five, I think. But that was mostly because we didn't know everything we were seeing and didn't know we didn't know. And we didn't know that you didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) It worked much better in hindsight. I suspect the same will be true this season. Yeah, totally agree with Michael. And uh, it it keeps getting deeper and deeper and more elements to it. Mm-hmm. as the perspective shifts and like it's like you're seeing a whole world inside another world yeah and when i watched the first season i liked it from the beginning but i liked it more in the later episodes when things started to get more exciting but then when you and i went back and did the podcast and rewatched i liked them all better yeah, yeah. yep <clears throat> Uh, Michael Darwin wrote about this episode. Wow, not the best episode of the season or series, but one of the most loaded with significant moments. I'm going to have to rewatch it before reviewing it tomorrow. And that final reveal, wow. From Robin Cooper Simon, my question is just how long has Dolores been controlling Bernard? I don't want this season to end, but I can't wait to rewatch it all from <laughs> start to finish. Um, yeah, that is the question. And to what extent is she controlling? But uh, right, even now, new central mystery. My suspicion is that every time we've seen Dolores with Arnold, it's been Arnold, except for the two times this season, the very first scene and the one this week. But uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't know, but that conversation could have ended before the fidelity part a lot of times. What do you mean? Like we didn't see the part that we saw in this episode, but it could have been there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. (laughs) Yeah. As far as we know. But I mean, you know how the reason why I say that is because a lot of the first uh, season was about Arnold coaching her and trying to bring her into consciousness. So I'd like to think that some of that was actually that dynamic. 
versus yeah, her, and her, her responses were different in, yeah, in those yeah, interactions. Yeah. A couple of emails. Laura F says, I'm listening to your current episode, which is last week she's talking about, and your discussion about the parallels between Shogun World and Westworld with regard to Maeve and Clementine and their counterparts. I think that Maeve has a great depth of feeling for Clementine in a motherly way in Westworld. So I do think there's a parallel between the Mariposa and the Geishas at Shogun World. Remember when we saw the despair on Maeve's face when Clementine was lobotomized? Anyway, I learned so much from your analysis and you really make the show more fun, which is really something. Thanks so much. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. From Al Chalant. Um, Thanks again so much for reading some of my ideas on the show. It's an adrenaline rush hearing your own name all of a sudden on the entertainment you consume. It's awesome. (laughs) I appreciate it. I don't have much this week to share. Just one thing. Trains. I like where Al is going with this. Um, You know how Dolores went to Sweetwater for the train and Lee programmed Abernathy for one thing. I got to get to the train. So if the train pulls up to the control area, he's going to jump right on board saying, oh, the train is here. I got to get on the train. Um, Also, remember episode two when the railroad workers were building the railroad in a new direction using bodies as railroad ties? Wouldn't it be gross if Dolores took the train that way? Man and Black seemed to think the Ford journey into night narrative was why they were building the tracks that way. What if they are building the tracks toward a dam or something separating the parks and they show an epic scene of the train barreling down this new dead body makeshift track <laughs> right into the dam causing the sea flood? Or maybe they crashed into something else, the cradle. It still isn't clear if that is a different location from the control room Mesa. Well, we did get the con- the train. Yeah, on. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it is in there because they felt the shake. Yeah, uh, it's just weird how many other small train-related things they had mentioned that it would be absolutely nuts if they were all related somehow. Um, and also, the other thing we talked about, which was the Mave narrative, where she was supposed to get on the modern train, right. Um, and go who knows where right so that's one other train related deal and also they're on an island so you think you'd have to get to the airport at some point or the port (laughs) yeah i mean the modern train could have could have a tunnel i guess i guess you're right yeah 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 yep uh yeah i'd say that's fairly likely very possible the thing I liked best about this was just wondering about, yeah, Abernathy, he keeps saying he's got to get to the train and they're going to get him. And I actually don't remember why Dolores is so set on going back to get Abernathy. Do you? Well, originally she showed off like her affection for him. Yeah. There's some part of that is still in her and she slipped back into the Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think ultimately she realized when Bernard revealed to her that there's this giant file inside him that maybe is all the hosts or whatever. She whatever. can use that. We saw his reaction to it. He never said what it is, but yeah, now I think she thinks that could be useful to her. Okay. All right. We have one call from Steve Brown and here it is. Hey guys, it's Steve from Oklahoma. I just finished watching the most recent episode of Westworld and phase space and I don't even know where to begin. Uh, to say I'm confused is an understatement. I'm going to go watch Legion to try to understand something or think I understand something. <laughs> but anyway, great episode. Um, did the train explode? 
was that the train that Dolores and them are on? When it went into the tunnel, it looked like it exploded. I don't yep. know. Then at the end, and Ford playing the piano in the cradle, <laughs> and Coughlin looks like cool mustache, buddy. Can't wait to see what that character's going to do. Um, He's going to get and, uh, Just a uh, uh, really good episode. I, I really liked it. And uh, there was one thing from last week's episode that I didn't hear anybody else mention was that the Westworld Mave said, Oi. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, uh, talk to you guys later. Thanks. Love the podcast. Talk to you later. It's kind of a uh, TV movie trope, almost like the Hollywood knockout where they pull the pin out of the train car and then the train separates. I always thought it would be funny if like they were going downhill or whatever and they just stayed together. Because <laughs> that was the whole plan. And it's a little bit of a questionable plan. Like, blow up the train tunnel, but you're still on a train car heading towards heading it. Heading towards it, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, they're badass. By the way, Legion, if you're rating the complexity of a show on a scale of one to 10 and Westworld is a 10, then Legion is a 9.3, I would say. So not that much easier to understand. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out Legion. You've been (laughs) touting it. Yes. It's one of my favorite shows right now. All right. That's our show. Episode 11. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with me and David, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. You can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and we might play it on the air. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next episode, Westworld Season 2, Episode 7, Les Ecoches, French World. <laughs> I can't even world. I can't even believe we're on episode seven already. Yeah. We're coming down the coming down the, the, the last part of it. And uh I think that means flayed or skinned in in French. Oh, so, so this is gonna be a nice calm, peaceful episode. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be uh Ramsey Bolton themed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alright, that's our show. Thanks for checking us out. No, he didn't say that. What? He said, thanks for listening. Whatever. Freeze all motor functions. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.